Okay, today's reading is Revelation 21, 1 through 6. It can be found on page 1,151 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, we come um, with experiences, thoughts, feelings, um, deep longings, um, or elements of gratitude, all of which are largely often unknown to those around us. We imagine um, that others wouldn't understand or wouldn't get it, or we imagine others are all kind of part of a group that we're not a part of, or we imagine that we're so different. And yet, in many ways, we all sit here very much the same. We're more of a mess than we care to admit, and our lives are full of fragmentation um, and failure. Um, Our lives, often we project confidence, although we're just covering up a lot of insecurity. Um, God, from all these places, there's, there's this whisper in our ear and in the back of our minds that says, perhaps it is true that you are loving and that if we knew you and if we had a relationship with you and if we could really connect with your reality, um, a lot of our longings and a lot of our unsettledness would be taken care of. And in fact, the way, the way that we've Uh, heard about you and learned about you in scripture is exactly that, that although we are more of a mess than we care to admit, we are through Christ more loved and accepted than we ever imagined in a way that truly does settle our hearts. May we find through seeing and experiencing your grace this morning that our hearts begin to be settled as we make our way out into the callings in this world um, which you have appointed for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We ask the question, what is, what is old? What is old? And there weren't, there weren't very many answers to the question of the week last week. Um, I don't know why, but um, people didn't want to answer the question, what is old? Maybe we don't want to think about you know, age and getting older. Somebody just wrote the answer, 42. <laughs> That's old. I hope... I hope you're, you know, you're not, I hope that if you're sitting here and you're 42, 
this morning that you're not the one who wrote that, that you don't feel terrible right now. I had a refrigerator in our house. We had our refrigerator. Um, I sh shouldn't say I because it wasn't my personal. It was for all six of us in our household. We had a refrigerator that was getting very old. And um, these repairmen would come, and um, we were trying to figure out what was going on with it. It was making, making noises, you know. And humans do that too. You get older, you start making noises. <laughs> and, uh, and these repairmen were, um, they were just, um, it, they seemed like they were so uh, just frustrated with this long story of frustration, uh, most of which I wasn't a part of. But they came in the door with this frustration because they have this whole thing about refrigerators and how they aren't made like they used to be made. And how the, you know, there has to be these energy efficiency standards and it means that there's these tiny motors but then they have to run all the time and so they're, they don't last very long and it's filling up our landfills. And, you know, so we heard this story from, in this ethos, this, this, this feeling from like three different refrigerator repairmen that would come at different times as we were <laughs> assessing. Um, and it just had this feeling like, man, yeah, they, they all kind of feel the same way about this big issue that's a part of their life. Um, Refrigerators get old when they're like eight or nine years old and they seem young, but they're old. And that whole issue for these repairmen was getting very old, it seemed like. Um, maybe there's things in your life that feel the same way. Things are getting old or you feel like you are getting old or people in your life are getting old, people whom you love and it's, um, and it's hard. Maybe things about our, our world seem to be... Um, broken in a kind of an old, decaying sort of way. Things are getting old to you, things that aren't going well with our world. Maybe mental illness is getting old for you. Maybe um, human trafficking is getting old for you. Maybe reading about conflicts and, and wars throughout the world is getting old. Racism, sexism, bigotry, bullying... Maybe addiction is getting old for you. Um, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol. Um, maybe it touches your life in some close way. Cancer. Isn't cancer getting old? Um, predatory lending. Land grabs in third world countries. Generational poverty and young men shooting each other over and over in our cities. It's getting old. These are a few of my least favorite things, and they're getting old. You have to have in some way, though, as you look at the things that are getting old in this world, the things that seem to be a part of things breaking down, and you have to have some kind of outlook. You have to have something. I don't know what yours is, I don't know what you hang on to when you see all the things around you getting old. But you have to have some way of dealing with the deterioration and the decay and the discouragement that comes along with all of it. An outlook. Another way to look at it, a uh, theological term, eschatology. What's your eschatology? You have one, did you know you have one? You have one. You, you have an eschatology. Um... I say to my kids, your epidermis is showing. And they say, what, what? Oh, skin, that's right. Your eschatology is showing. It might be, 
in how you're dealing with the discouragement and the deterioration of this world. The Bible provides us an outlook. It provides us an eschatology. The Bible says that the earth is groaning, that like the cosmos, that all, of, all things that have been created by God are, are groaning. It also says that, um, that there's a decay and that, there's, that the earth and all of the things in it are a part of something referred to in the New Testament as the age of decay. So it's just like an, a period of kind of the history of the world within which we find ourselves, the age of decay. Um, and, it, and the Bible also talks about that how this is described is that creation was not supposed to be that way and that it was subjected to frustration is another way the Bible talks about it. And then in our passage today, so this is all part of kind of the full-orbed view of or outlook or eschatology. Our passage today says, um, the one from the throne says, I am making everything new. It says the old order of things has passed away. So God in the Bible, the Bible's eschatology, the Bible's outlook for you says, I am making all things new. And that's what the whole picture of the Bible is about. And if you have that outlook, that eschatology, then things that are a part of your current outlook will be replaced by other things. So let's look at a, couple, a few of those. That activism replaces escapism. The gospel, secondly, replaces religion. And deep hope replaces defeatism. Activism or engagement replaces escapism. So this is, the, this is what I want to focus on first. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. New heaven, new earth. And then you look at verse 5, and the voice from the throne says, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. Um, this is good biblical outlook about where things are going. That there is going to be a new earth, that the final destination of things, that the whole point from the beginning was always us being put in a relationship with God in creation with bodies um, in a planet that looks very much like the one we're in, with creatures like the ones that are around us. That was the plan from the beginning. And so the Bible has us moving back towards a new kind of creation, the same kind of place, a new heaven and a new earth. So that um, this is the quote that you see in your worship guide from Daniel Borman. He says, The New Testament closes with the book of Revelation, which describes a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem and a, and a new garden. I'm not sure how and when Christians became so preoccupied with the idea of going home to heaven, but to me, the promise of a new earth sounds a lot more exciting and a lot more consistent with our call to be Jesus' disciples. And I would say a lot more consistent as well with just the, what the Bible teaches. Um, 
so as you know, quite, there's been quite an emphasis among Christians on going to heaven. Isn't that the point? Come to church so that you can go to heaven. When I die someday, I'm going to go to heaven, you've heard people say. Where are you going to go when you die? Are you going to go to heaven? And consequently, what has kind of come along with that and been carried along with that is a sort of, and it's, in, it's inevitable, a sort of escapism related to this planet. And often, in very, not always this way, but often pretty extreme forms that kind of says, you know, I, the, you know this earth doesn't really matter to me. This planet doesn't really matter to me. The, the systems of this world really don't matter to me. And in its worst kind of, uh, worst way endorsed by church folk can be, you know, what really only matters is to kind of, you go out there and you maybe make some money so that you can, you know, support ministry in the church, but mainly you, you just are getting through it so that someday you can escape from it and find your home elsewhere. But over and over in the Bible, you see another view, completely other view, a view of engagement and activism right in the midst of this broken creation. It's very clear, if you're a Christian, that when you see God, the one from the throne, saying, I am making everything new, that you're called into that activity with that God. You find solidarity and oneness in that exact work right now in this world. And Jesus did that. Take, for example, when you look in the Gospel of Mark, as, as that Gospel starts, Jesus launches into his ministry. If you read the Gospel of Mark, sit down um, in the morning, maybe do this in the next few weeks if you're looking for a way to connect more with Scripture. Before you turn on your technology and your devices, just sit with the Gospel of Mark and read a portion and just be with Jesus. And um, you'll be amazed because the Gospel of Mark starts and just jumps into all these things Jesus is doing in the real world. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. And that's how he launches off. Those are his first words. And then what does he do? But he's, he's um, driving out an evil spirit. He's healing all kinds of people from their sicknesses and incurable diseases. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a man who's paralyzed. And you have these bursts of him going out and he raises a, a dead girl. And on the way there, he heals a woman who has had lifelong bleeding. He's just constantly in the midst of the broken real-world uh, creation, and you really feel it when you read the Gospel of Mark. You feel like the time has come. Jesus has come. It's like heaven has come to earth, and the repair work is happening. That's what Jesus is all about. Let's, get, let's start making all things new. Let's repair this broken place. And that's exactly right. That's good theology, actually, is to say heaven is the space God resides, wherever God is. And so when Jesus comes, it's heaven coming to earth. It's heaven arriving. It's God's presence here in real embodied creation. Uh, another, another quote, I think, yeah, in your worship guide, humanity's ultimate destiny is an earthly one. Human beings are creatures, and God created earth to be the scene of their creaturely existence. Therefore, even as the redemption of people in the bodily aspect 
of their being demands the resurrection of the body, so the redemption of the very physical creation requires a renewed earth as the scene of their perfect existence. The Bible doesn't put forward escapism, it puts forward engagement. Let me, let me read some inspiring thoughts on this and on Revelation chapter 21 by someone named John Van Sloten, who's also a preacher. He writes, The splendor we'll bring into that city will include all that is good, true, beautiful, and right of the cultures and cultural products of humanity or that humanity has created. We'll come together to watch New World Cup soccer, humanity gathered from every tongue and tribe celebrating the flag-draped glory of the nations, will communally enter into the joy of competition, the delight of play, the euphoria of victory. Together, we'll stand in awe of God's miraculous physiological gift of new human bodies. Businesses will continue to develop and bring new products to market. Better and better technologies will continue to aid human flourishing. Artists will continue to do their thing, creating beauty and aesthetically pointing us to truth. We'll know and experience God perfectly when we sit by a still lake, when we stand in a field of grass or walk on a windblown heath. Our prayer will be so intimate and real that a few hours may not be enough. No longer will we feel the desire or pressure to rush off to the next thing. He says, I know God will be king of this new earth, but I'm wondering if he might also appoint some to be a few or some to a few sub-kingly roles to govern and lead the eternal community. Perhaps some will end up being city councilors, justly governing in a bottom-up humble, honest, selfless, Christ-like way. Every leader will be empowered by wisdom and grace from the throne. And I imagine those heavenly leaders feeling the same just right feeling God must feel throughout his eternal rule every time they shape a just policy, an equitable program, or a fair and democratic law. As they govern rightly, they'll experience the good governing heart of God. He says, on that new earth, our relationship with the natural world will be as it should be. All of us knowing God anew in a restored and reclaimed relationship with our ecosystem. The glory of creation will inspire the best environmental technologies and behaviors. The heavenly city will have a perfect balance of green space and human structures. will be active using our new bodies in the way they're meant to be used. He says, with legs like 10-year-olds will cycle everywhere. With eyes like children, will see the newness of all things every day. The Bible doesn't lead to escapism. It leads towards activism. N.T. Wright, another theologian, says this, the ch- the, thus the church that takes sacred space seriously, not as a retreat from the world, but as a bridgehead into it, will go straight from worshiping in the sanctuary to debating in the council chamber, to discussing matters of town planning, of harmonizing and humanizing beauty and architecture, green spaces, and road traffic schemes. 
into environmental work, creative and healthy farming methods, and proper use of resources. If it is true that the whole world is now God's holy land, we must not rest as long as that land is spoiled and defaced. This is not an extra to the church's mission. It is central, says N.T. Wright. So activism and engagement replaces escapism, if Revelation 21 is true, if this is our outlook. Also, the gospel replaces religion. The gospel replaces religion. Religion always gives you this burden, puts the burden of reconnecting with God on you. The burden of making progress towards renewal and reconciliation is put on you. And if you're a Christian, or if you're an atheist, or if you're an agnostic, it seems like everybody still, usually, almost always assumes that the Bible is filled with the requirements that need to be met in order for God to make progress with us or with our world. The requirements that need to be met in order for you to have closeness to God. That's what religion does. Religion says, what are the requirements to get into heaven? But the gospel is different. The gospel from the Bible says, how do you live now that heaven has arrived on earth? How do you live now that heaven has come to earth already? Um, In Romans 8, uh, chapter 3 and 4, this is another way that it is put. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The Christians approach things as the requirements already being met. And that happening through um, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And the requirements have been met through him. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we can have life. So that God now forever, the promise stands before us of him dwelling with us. Look at the powerful words that speak about this in Revelation 21. In verses 2 and 3, this is echoing something that's all throughout Scripture. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Um, George Eldon Ladd, a New Testament scholar, highlights how this, he says, this feature, the fact that God will be God to his people, is the central element of God's covenant with his people throughout the whole entire course of the Bible. 
that Yahweh should be God to his people, Yahweh is the Old Testament name of God, was the continuing element in the covenant made with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And it's now the abiding feature of the new covenant that God promised to make in the future kingdom. Another way to say it is that consistently, if you go back and read the, the book of Genesis, you'll, you'll see the repetition that God always entering in and saying, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you, as he makes covenant promises to his people. So someone says, I'm not religious. And in a way, I often want to say, neither am I. In terms of how I understand religion, religion putting the requirements on you in order for things to be made good between you and God, or between this world and God. The requirements have already been met. Somebody says, I gave up on organized religion, and I kind of want to say, so did I. Why? Because I met the God of grace, and the burden of generating closeness with God has been removed. Um, So the gospel replaces religion, and deep hope replaces defeatism. Defeatism is spoken to in this passage when God says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then God says in verse 6, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Deep hope replaces any defeatism. The, the difficulty about Um, holding on to this idea of a new earth and God making all things new is is just the the defeatism and the discouragement of our experience of, that come along with our experience of the decay and the death and the um, discouragement all around us. It can be, the discouragement of this broken world can be so intense and sit with you for long periods of time. The Christians receiving the book of Revelation for the first time as it was circulated amongst the the churches originally were receiving it as they sat in the midst of long periods of feeling, feeling like they were this close to being defeated and crushed, feeling really discouraged as they went up against really systematic persecution under the Roman emperor. But the outlook given, so, that, so this book consistently speaks to that. And as it comes to verse tw- or chapter 21, we're in the, like, the crescendo of the, of the words offered to those who are in a long battle with discouragement. And the words given are, no matter how, things, how bad things get, this world is still going somewhere. No matter how bad things get, God is still doing something through your work. No matter how bad things get, God is still doing something through your kid. No matter how bad things get, God is still doing something as you toil in the work of being a stay-at-home mom. No matter how bad things get with your body, physically, God is still doing something 
with that body and through that body. To know the God of Christians is to have a stubborn refusal to be ever defeated or crushed by any circumstances. By any circumstance. Can you, have you discovered that? Can you say that is true about your outlook? When you've been introduced to this God, you've been introduced to the God who is wiping away tears, who is healing incurable diseases, who is raising dead people and then rises from the dead to conquer it himself, and who is conquering the decay that you see all around you. It's impossible, if you know this God, to ever be completely crushed or defeated. That's not in the vocabulary of the Christians who this book has been written to or ours. Discouragement? Yes. Horrible levels of discouragement. Sadness? Often. Tormented by the harshness of this world? Sometimes every day. And yet, never defeat, never being crushed. This world is going somewhere. It's going somewhere that will eventually be, as this passage points out, pain-free. Anybody got pain? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Pain-free, tear-free, Tears, yeah? Mm-hmm. Crying and pain and death, that whole order will pass away. That's our God. He's working against it. And really, He needs your help. Let's pray. Our God, You are so good. You have, for, some, for whatever reason, although you are so powerful and mighty, you have decided to work through us so that once we are healed, we might go out and bring healing. We live in a broken city. We have broken families. We have broken neighborhoods. We have broken jobs. We have broken bodies. Infuse a hope and a healing in the deepest part of our being, in our hearts, that we are fully reconciled and connected to your love. And, and then send us out to those broken places. Remove the fear, remove the, the awkwardness or the timidity and create bold, a bold group of people known for having the extra reserves that come from you to go out and to heal And when pain, when we see pain, to move towards it with your healing love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.